and there we go. Now we're cooking with Crisco, as my dad likes to say. Thank you all for being here today. It really is an honor to stand before you and to do my best to discern God's voice for you and to speak God's word to you today. I never imagined that 10 years ago I would have been a teenager. I never imagined that I would be here and that I would be able to fill in for my dad, Pastor Kurt, and that I'd be able to address you guys today. God can do a lot in somebody's heart whenever they fully surrender. Amen? Amen? So what I want to do today is, is speak about a passage, and I want to talk to you guys today about Exodus. Uh, it's a book that we're probably pretty familiar with. The passage that we'll talk about today is in Exodus 33. But before we get to that, I wanted to, I wanted to just relay to you some information that you might already know. When we read the book of Exodus, we're reading about a bunch of people who have entered into an agreement with God in something called the Old Covenant. We today, we live in the New Testament age. We live in the New Covenant now. Jesus has come. He died for us on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father three days later. And now, because of his blood... We live in a new covenant. We live in a new era. So, Jesus said, before he ever departed from us, in John chapter 16, he said that it's actually for our own good that he goes away. John 16, 7, he says that it's for our own good that he's leaving. Because if he does not leave, if Jesus doesn't depart, he says, otherwise, the advocate, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, would not have otherwise been sent to us. We live in the new covenant. Amen? We're now temples of the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 6.19. How many of you know that you're temples of the Holy Spirit? Your temples of God's presence dwells within you. Now we're carriers of God's Spirit. That's pretty cool, right? I think to myself, like, when you order a pizza, you can have that puppy delivered to your house. I guess in, in Princeton you can. In Oakland City, I don't know. It, honestly, do they do they deliver pizza out here? They do? Okay, okay. I didn't know. Some of us live in the country out here. I know my sister. You can't have a pizza delivered to your house, can you? You live like two feet outside of Princeton city limits. Can't have the pizza delivered out there. But what if we acted as agents of God's Holy Spirit, delivery boys, delivery girls of God's presence, and we carried that out into our communities? What if we were carriers of Holy Spirit into every single area of our life, into our workplace, into our homes, into our schools? What if we were delivery boys and girls of the Holy Spirit? We're walking temples now. That's the new covenant. We live under the new co covenant. God has made a promise to us and we have a bargain that we need to hold up. There's one end of his agreement. There's one end of ours. God gave us his Holy Spirit so that we can just sit with it. No. It's a covenant. There's an agreement. Think of it as a contract. It's binding. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit, body of Christ, my church, my bride. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit for you to take it into the world. You are carriers of the Holy Spirit in this new covenant. 
We're no longer bound by the law. We don't live in the old covenants. When we read Exodus today, we're reading people who lived in the old covenants. But now we're no longer bound by the law. Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Step by step with the Spirit. So we don't live by the law. When we read Exodus, we're going to discover some things that apply to us today, but we need to remember that we are not the original audience for this text. The original audience was the Israelites living under the old covenant. We live in the new covenant today, and we may boldly enter into the presence of God. This was something that they were unfamiliar with. So God's presence lives inside of us now. I mentioned that. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Why am I telling you any of this? Well, as Pastor Kurt likes to say, I told you that so I can tell you this. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I told you that so I can tell you this. It has not always been this way. It hasn't always been this way. Before God lived in us as temples of the Holy Spirit, God dwelt in a temple of stone. A lot of us are probably familiar with this. There was a literal temple. If you wanted to enter into God's presence, where did you have to go? Go to the temple. It was a literal stone building built by King Solomon. So an actual stone building housed God's presence. But he doesn't like stone buildings anymore. God wants to live in our hearts. He doesn't like stony hearts either, though. He doesn't like hardened hearts. God wants to make his home in your hearts. He doesn't like stone buildings anymore. He doesn't like hearts of stone either. So things like lust, racism, greed, self-reliance, like things apart from God, trusting in ourselves, lust, sin, all of these things, what they do is they harden our hearts. And what they do is they cause God to flee from our stony hearts. And his presence isn't actually contained. It's manifest presence. It's not highly concentrated within us anymore. If we want to be carriers of God's Holy Spirit, the way I just mentioned, we have to find ourselves in right relationship with God. And when we are in right relationship with him, everything flows from that intimacy, and we find ourselves naturally living in obedience to him. We're not trying as hard as we possibly can every morning to not sin, to not think that lustful thought. Don't look at that billboard too long. There's a girl on there. Don't do that. We find ourselves naturally falling into alignment with God's spirit and with his will for us whenever we, um, whenever we allow God to come and to change us and to not harden our hearts. So we live in the new covenant. God's presence dwelt in the temple in the old covenant, but before he ever dwelt in the temple, this is all still context, God lived in the tabernacle. How many of you are familiar with the tabernacle? This is like the temple. It's very similar to the temple, but the tabernacle's mobile, okay? The temple stayed in one place. It's a stone building. The tabernacle, God gave Moses specific instructions on how to assemble it, how to disassemble it, and they would put it up, and they'd tear it down. And then God would lead them to some other place, 40 years in the wilderness, and they would reassemble the tabernacle, very specific ways that they would do it every time, and God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle. But before the tabernacle, God's presence dwelt in a place called the Tent of Meeting. And that leads us to our text for today. So God lives within us now. But before that, he lived in a temple because it was the old covenant. Before he was in the temple, he was in the tabernacle. And before God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle, 
there was some way that the Israelites needed to enter into God's presence somehow. And so what Moses came up with was the tent of meeting. So go ahead, Chase, if you haven't already. Let's go ahead and take a look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 7 through 11. If you have your Bibles today, I invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We, we have it up on the screen. Yeah, there we go. So this is Exodus 33, verse 7 through 11. This is the ESV that I'll be reading out of. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Verse 8. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered into the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Verse 10. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Verse 11, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have brought us here today for a purpose. I pray, Lord, that that purpose would not just be to attend church, that that purpose would not be inherently religious, but, Lord, that the purpose you brought us here for today, you would reveal to us to be, to commune, to enter into presence with you, to enter into holy communion with you. Father, I pray that when we leave here today, that we would not just think, that was a nice sermon, but that we would encounter your Holy Spirit today in a way that is unmistakable, Father. We invite the Holy Spirit to come and rest upon us over this place. Fill us, Lord. Give us enlightenment and help us to receive truth and to apply it to our lives. We pray all of this in your holy name, Father. Amen. Let's do a breakdown of each one of these verses. We'll start with verse 7, but quickly, before that, it sounds like a lot of you guys are familiar with a lot of the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So you know you have Genesis, that's the creation account, and then the patriarchs. Exodus, in Exodus 3, God chooses this servant, this prophet named Moses, and he calls him to go back into Egypt, where he had already fled from, and to bring God's chosen people, the Israelites, out of slavery, out of bondage. They were being oppressed by Pharaoh. Pharaoh, like eventually, there's a lot of plagues and everything. Pharaoh eventually relents. He lets the, Holy, uh, he lets the, the Israelites um, exit Egypt, but then he changes his mind. He pursues them, and what happens after that? They're fine. They're well. They 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 got their backs to uh, some water right there. Okay, a lot of us believe it's the Red Sea. A lot of scholars believe it's the Red Sea, and so they have their backs turned to the uh, the water behind them, and they think they see the army, Pharaoh's pursuing them, and they think, oh no, we're going to be dragged back into slavery. 
or they might just kill us here on the spot, what's going to happen? But God, in his power and authority, does what? He parts the waters. And those Israelites, they walk, they walk across the water on dry ground, y'all. On dry ground. And then God rescues them from the, from the, the bondage of Egypt. He leads them out into the wilderness. And then they arrive at Mount Sinai. They receive the Ten Commandments. But what we see is, time and time again, all throughout the book of Exodus, after God brings his chosen people out of that place to lead them into a land that he calls the promised land, that he desires to bring them into, time and time again, before they can enter into a life of harmony and security in the promised land, the Israelites continuously prove that they don't really trust God that much. They do when it's convenient. They love God sometimes. But they're prone to wonder. Moses went up to Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. When he came back down, the golden calf. Do we know about the golden calf? We do, right? We don't need any more context. All of these events have already transpired. By the time that we arrive here, verse 7 in chapter 33, all of this has taken place. God has seen that his chosen people, the Israelites, have a tendency to wonder. So he has a desire to be with them, to nurture them, to be very patient with them, and to show them his face. He wants to be in their presence. He wants to be with his people. If you're here today, God wants to be with you. God wants to be with his people. We live in the new covenant now. God has given us his spirit, not just because he randomly decided to one day. He has a desire to be with us. He has a desire to be with every single one of you. He proves here with the tent of meeting in verse 7, he wants to be with his people. So when we read verse 7, we're going to notice something here. We have the context. We understand the new covenant, old covenant. Here we are, verse 7. What does it say? We can pull up verse 7 there. Thank you, Chase. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. You guys ever noticed when you read the Bible, sometimes there's like the same word or the same phrase used over and over and over again. If you read the book of John, first, not first John, the, the book, but John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and, and the Word was with God. You might read that, and you're thinking, like, whoever wrote this part of the Bible, it must not have had a very good vocabulary. You're just using the same word over and over again. And the word they keep using over and over again is Word. Word. What we're seeing here in verse 7 is something that happens a lot of times in the Bible. Remember this, when you're reading the Bible, the Bible communicates to us purposefully through repeated words and phrases. Okay, so if you read a verse and there's something that keeps being mentioned, odds are that's important. That's not an accident. What do we see in verse 7? Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. Everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting. Which, by the way, in case you need to know, in case you haven't picked up on it, news alert, it's not in the camp. It was outside the camp. We're all tracking, right? Yeah. 
I live in a home that was built in 1900. Old. <laughs> when it was built, there was no bathroom inside. If you had to go to the bathroom, you had to go to the outhouse. Where was the outhouse? <laughs> it was not very convenient to go to the restroom. In 1900, I don't know that you guys, none of you guys were born in 1900, I don't think. Some of you might be old enough to actually remember. Oh, what, what was that? <laughs> oh, John. Some of you might actually be old enough to remember a time whenever you were really young that there was a bathroom inside the house. You had to go outside to do your business. That was not convenient. You couldn't just stop by the restroom on the way to the kitchen or like go down the hall before you go to the living room. The tent of meeting was outside the Israelites' camp. What does that mean for us? Well, for them, it wasn't a huge sacrifice for the Israelites to go to the tent of meeting. Okay? Remember, it's probably a big camp. There's thousands and thousands of Israelites. It's not just like, you know, like a dozen tents or so. It's a big community, and they're all camping. There's a giant camp where they all have their tents. So they don't have to scale a mountain to go outside the camp and go to the tent of meeting, but it's a sacrifice. What, is, what, what Moses is doing by placing the tent of meeting outside the camp is he's making the Israelites choose to be with God. In our world today, we have to choose to be with God. We have to choose. We live in this busy world. How many things do you do throughout the course of a day? How many things do you do throughout the course of a week? You're busy, aren't you? Our time with God will not just naturally happen. Odds are we're going to have schedules that are so busy that we have to choose God. We have to be intentional about the time that we commit to spending with God in his presence. If you want to meet with God, you're going to have to choose to do so. We have to be intentional about making arrangements to meet with him. So a lot of us probably have at least a devotional that we do in the mornings or at some point during the day. The Bible app's great. There's like these little five-minute devotions. And they're great. They really are. You can pray in small doses. You can read a verse of your Bible like in the truck or in the car before you walk into work. You can squeeze God into your schedule here and there. But what you're doing is snacking. If you never eat a meal... You're not going to be sustained. If you're just squeezing God into your schedule, if you're not blocking out making some kind of appointment with him Thursdays, 6.30 in the morning, before the kids wake up, whatever it is, maybe it's before, maybe you get off work before your spouse does, before your kids are home from school, whatever it is, whatever window of time that God has provided for you, you have to be intentional about Setting that aside for God to meet with him. We're here in God's presence today. We come to church, hopefully every Sunday. That's corporate intimacy with God. That is not personal intimacy with God. What we have to do is individually, personally, choose to be in God's presence. Everybody tracking. Say to your neighbor, we have to choose to be into. We have to choose to be in God's presence. 
Oh, man, come on, guys. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We have to choose to be in God's presence. Look, look at verse 8. You guys are doing great this morning. Now, I'm preaching better than you guys are responding, right? Amen? I'm preaching good, y'all. <laughs> verse 8. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, hmm, 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 all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. The Israelites, they, they rose up as a mark of reverence because their leader, Moses, was going to God. And they, they believed that God was interceding. He was praying for them. They had great respect for Moses. But I need to tell you today, this is very important. Do not, do not stand at the entrance of your tent and watch your spouse or your grandfather or maybe your children or your pastor Whoever your spiritual leader is, do not watch them enter into God's presence while you stand at the entrance of your tent. Join them. We must join our spiritual leaders as they enter into God's presence. It's not enough to hang on the faith of your parents. It's not enough to hang on the faith of your grandparents or your, or your children. It's not enough. When I was called to ministry, I remember I sat down with my head pastor, Pastor Andrew Johnson, and I remember I was telling him, like, I have no idea what I'm doing, man. <laughs> God's called me to ministry, but like a week ago, I was just a regular person. I, 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 didn't, I didn't have a call in my life. God hadn't given me this purpose, this burning passion and desire to help people and to preach his word. And now I have that burning passion, but I have no idea what I'm doing. And I need your help. How am I going to do all the things necessary to be like an actual pastor, a minister of God's word? How do you do it? There's all these pastoral things that I don't even know how to do. I was just nervous. I didn't know what to do. He gave me the greatest advice I've ever received in my entire life. You know what he said? He looked me in the eye and he said, pursue God's presence. Seek first God's kingdom. And all those other things that you're worried about, they'll take care of themselves. We have one purpose that we were created for, that every single one of us were created for. We have unique callings. God puts us in places where we can minister to, place, to a people that maybe someone else in the room can't minister to those people. Like I could hang out with some people who ride skateboards, and I could minister to them. And maybe, John, you could not. Okay? There's different specific purposes that God calls us to, but every single one of us are called to the same purpose. Intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with God. We have to enter into his presence. We cannot watch our spiritual leader into God, enter into God's presence and stand at the entrance of our tents. My pastor gave me that advice that day. Pursue God's presence. And all these other things will work themselves out. I think they have. I've pursued God's presence from that day forward. 
That's what I did. I became a pursuer of God's presence. We cannot be observers of God's presence and expect to be changed by him. Amen? We cannot be viewers of God's glory and expect to benefit from it. How do you know if you're somebody who's standing at the entrance of your tent, like the Israelites were, instead of someone who's actively seeking to meet with God? The answer can be discovered by asking yourself another question. How do you spend your time? Is your time alone with God something that you've neglected? Are you actively seeking God, or are you passively religious? I'm preaching to myself here, guys. I really am. I have this authoritative voice. My dad gave me that. I might be bombastic at times and shouting and in your face. But I'm preaching at myself. I'm not innocent in this. See, I was raised in church. I'm a preacher's kid. I've been in church, y'all. I know it. Okay? I'm a pastor's kid. So I grew up in church acquiring knowledge about the Bible. I I learned, I received information, lots of information about the Bible and about God. But I didn't pursue his presence until a few years ago. Don't just acquire knowledge about God. Spend time in his presence. When you stand before God someday, he's not going to ask for you to just rattle off a bunch of facts about him. I never want to stand before God and say, away from me, you never knew me. I never knew you. I never knew you. You just memorized a bunch of verses, Pastor Tyler. I never want to stand before God on that day and have him be able to say that. And we don't pursue God's presence out of a sense of obligation. That's very important. We pursue God's presence simply because we have a desire, a hunger to be with him to experience that sweet intimacy, sitting still in the solitude and silence, just you and God with your Bible open on the sofa, sitting there for 45 minutes, never looking at the clock. He wants to take you into his throne room. The rocking chair or the, on your porch or the, the end of the bed where you kneel and pray on your sofa dining room table, wherever it is. God wants to bring you into a spiritual state of being where you're in intimate relationship with him. I speak from experience. Please follow this teaching. If you don't hear anything else today, hear what I'm about to say. And if you're a note taker, this is a great thing to write down. If you don't have a notepad, if you have a pen, write it on your, on your hands. If you don't hear anything else I say today, remember this. Stop being a viewer of God's glory and start being a pursuer of God's glory. Stop being a viewer of God's presence and start being a pursuer of his presence. Amen? Verse 9 and 10. We're reading two verses here, Chase. I don't know if you got both of them up there. You got 8 and 9. This is verse 9 and 10. When Moses entered into the tent the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Verse 10. 
And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. In verses 9 and 10, we, we see another repeated phrase. This is pillar of cloud. This is what we'll focus on in these two passages, or these two verses here. So um, I researched the Hebrew word for pillar, and what I found was actually incredibly fascinating. You guys know what the Hebrew word for pillar means? Pillar. <laughs> How's that for some research? <laughs> so I told you my house was built in 1900. It's really old. I don't know when the porch on our house was put in there, but it's an old house. The porch was put there a long time ago, and we have four wooden posts on our porch that like support the, the porch roof. And these posts, we know what a post looks like. It's a wooden post. It's like a, probably about eight feet long. Okay? It has a, an, an end one here, an end right here, and then an end over there. Okay? It's not infinite each way. There's a stopping point. It's like a slender cylinder. Okay? How's that for some geometry? Yeah. So we know what a wooden post looks like. What comes into your mind whenever you hear a pillar of cloud? Because in my mind, a pillar is probably a little bit larger than a post, wider around. And if it's a, a pillar of cloud that contains God's manifest presence, God's glory, and it's descending from the heavens, that means it's going to be infinite, upwards. Because heaven keeps going on, baby. Okay? So it's infinite one direction, reaching as high as we could possibly imagine, upwards. And it's coming to rest, to land at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That thing's going to be visible from miles away. This pillar of cloud. Imagine... If you're anywhere in the tent, or if you're anywhere in the camp, and you see the pillar of cloud descending from on high, you know, uh-oh, God's here. God's shown up. It made me think about in the book of Acts, Acts 4.13, after Jesus died on the cross and he ascended to heaven, you know, the day of Pentecost comes and the, the, the disciples are filled with God's Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Well, Acts chapter 4, verse 13 Peter and John, they're in, they're in the temple. Remember the temple? They're in the temple teaching. And people are seeing these, these uneducated men. And they're teaching with such boldness and confidence and authority. They're teaching the word of God. And they're laying hands on people and they're performing miracles. And people are thinking to themselves, what's going on? Who are these people? But verse 13 says, they were recognized by the people as what? Men who had been with Jesus. From a distance, people should be able to see that we've been in God's presence. Just like the pillar of cloud is visible from wherever you are in the camp. You see the pillar of cloud stretching up towards the sky. It's obvious to see when we enter into God's presence, I'm telling you, your face will be radiant. People will see there's something different about that girl. There's something different about that teacher. I don't know about that one guy. John, every time I see him, every time I run into John, nothing gets him down. What is it? What's going on with that guy? Oh, he must be spending time in Jesus' presence. 
Even unbelievers, they'll see it. They're attracted to it. I promise you. Whenever the life comes crashing down around them, unbelievers, the unchurched, suddenly they have an interest in God. They want to know, how is it that, what, what, what's, what's, what's going on with your motor that you're able to do the things that you're doing? We must show to the world, it's obvious we've been spending time in God's presence. We have to be showing his glory everywhere that we go. Carriers of the Holy Spirit, like I mentioned. At school. At school. At school. Are we demonstrating that we've been spending time in God's presence? At work. At work. Does our boss know that we love Jesus? If the only place that you're religious is church, I won't finish that. I don't need to finish that sentence. In the same way that God's glory fell into a manner, fell in a manner which everyone was able to see through the pillar of cloud, God's glory fell, everyone could see it. It was obvious. We must carry God's glory into every circumstance and location that we enter. And it needs to be obvious, guys. Verse 11. We're moving right along. I'm not great at reading an analog clock there, but it looks like it is 1130. It's 1130. All right. We're moving right along, people. Verse 11. Don't you guys love God's word? Yeah. Verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses. Oh, oh. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. In verse 11, we see the level of intimacy that that Moses experienced with God. It's, it is beautiful, people. It is beautiful. Face to face, it says. That is incredible. That's incredible. If you're sitting and you don't understand why that's incredible, let me just tell you, the God who created you, the God who created everything, He wants to spend time with you. He wants to sit and speak with you as one speaks to a friend face to face. The God of heaven and earth considers a human his friend. I wore um, Donkey Kong socks today because that's bananas. (laughs) It is, y'all. I'm telling you. It's bananas. The Lord of heaven and earth wants to spend time with you. Yeah, Donkey Kong. Yeah, that's right. You ever play Donkey Kong? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're great, man. The Lord of heaven and earth wants to spend time face to face and speak to you as one speaks to a friend. The phrase face-to-face, this is some more Hebrew research I did. You guys ready for this one? 
the phrase face to face is the Hebrew word, and I'm serious about this one, panim el panim. Go ahead and say that to your neighbor. Panim el panim. Panim el panim. Guys. Panim el panim. You guys are Hebrew scholars. Yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> What's interesting about panim el panim is it's the same root word used in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. When what? When Adam and Eve actually sin in the garden, and what do they do? They hide their panim from the Lord. They're in the Garden of Eden, and they hid themselves from the presence, the face, the presence, the panim of the Lord. Panim can mean face or presence. So they hid themselves from God's panim, and they hid their own panim from the Lord. They hid their faces from God. God creates this this son and daughter to be in right relationship and communion with him. And what happens? Suddenly sin enters the world and suddenly there's shame. Suddenly there's this, there's this belief that I have to, I can't be around God. I must hide myself. I must hide my panim from the Lord. How did that happen? The enemy convinced them that shame was bigger than God's desire to be with us. Do not allow shame to keep you from entering into God's presence. Do not hide your face from the Lord. He won't hide his face from yours. He wants to meet with you. But what the enemy wants to do is convince you that you need to believe this lie. You'll never be good enough. I know what you did. The enemy wants to speak into us. Come on, are you kidding? You really think he has time for you? You really think God wants to be with you? He knows what you watch on YouTube. He knows the kind of websites that you head to. He knows that you have a gossip problem. He knows that you swore at that person whenever you were in, in traffic in Evansville because Evansville traffic is awful. <laughs> He knows. He knows, and he's not going to accept you. Come on, are you kidding? You need to make yourself right before you get into God's presence. Fix yourself first. He, what, he might not accept you. The enemy wants to convince us that we are not good enough to walk into God's presence, but the Holy Spirit, the new covenant, Proves we have God's spirit within us. We have the spirit where we can enter boldly into his presence. We don't have to fix ourselves. Amen? Thank you, Lord. I don't have to fix myself to be in God's presence. He takes me in the way that I am. Do not allow shame to keep you from presence. Do not allow shame to keep you from his spirit. God wants to meet with you face to face every single day. Ever since the Garden of Eden, God has shown through Scripture that he has a desire to be with his creation. Why do you think God was in the Garden with Adam and Eve? 
Why do you think there was a tent of meeting? Why do you think there was a tabernacle and then a temple and then a new covenant where God's Holy Spirit lives within us? He has a desire to meet with you. I'll invite Josh to come as I close this. Let's look at verse 7 again, Chase. If you could throw that back up there. There's something I skipped that's very important for me to tell you. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. That's what verse 7 says. And he called it the tent of meeting. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. Well, the Hebrew article here actually often indicates a possessive pronoun. So ideally we would read this and we would read, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. That's significant. It's not the tent. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. Moses literally took his home and made it into a house of prayer. Moses' home, he converted into a house of prayer. We talk about how we want prayer in schools, right? We've taken prayer out of schools. It's something I hear. I don't know who we is. I, I didn't take prayer out of school. If we want prayer in schools, if we want prayer back in our workplace, if we want prayer to be saturated in our culture again today, it has to start in our home. It can't start in church. No, if the only place, I said earlier, if the only place you're religious is church, I don't want to finish the sentence once again. We must allow ourselves, you can go ahead and play. We must allow ourselves to teach our children. When mommy and daddy go to school or when we go to work today, we pray over our coworkers. So if you at school, little Susan, whoever, when you go to school today, just Pray over your classmates. If you want to pray for your teacher, if she seems to be having a bad day, just go pray over her. Okay, don't be afraid of anything. This is normal. What we do is we pray. We're a family that prays. We're not a family that just goes to church. We're, we're a family that prays. So let's go ahead and pray together now. And then when you go to school, remember that. Like, are we modeling for our children a lifestyle of entering into God's presence, praying so that they understand when they go to school, no, I, I am allowed to pray. Not out of arrogance, not out of defiance, rebelliousness. It's, it's just the truth. I'm sorry, I'm going to pray. If we're not fostering a culture of prayer within our own home, Men, men, 
if we're not stepping up and leading our families as men of prayer, we can't point fingers anywhere else. We can't point fingers at the world and say, well, they, they took prayer out of schools. The world's just behaving the way that the world has always behaved. Maybe we're the ones who've changed. Men, I promise you, whoever she is, whether it's a girlfriend, whether it's your spouse, your mom, your daughter, whoever she is, pursue God's presence and she's going to follow. I guarantee you. Are we modeling prayer for our children? Is our home a house of prayer? Moses literally took his tent and made it the tent of meeting. I invite you today to make your home a house of prayer and to make a commitment to pursuing God's presence and not just viewing God's presence. You can't just watch church on TV and think that you've gone to church. You can't just come to church like on a Sunday and mark it off the list. You're viewing God's presence. You're not pursuing it. I'm going to pray. And then I'm just going to invite the team to come up. Um, you guys can go ahead and make your way up now. I'm, I'm just going to pray. Um, I don't know how things normally are done around here as, as far as uh, the, re, the reception or um, you know, the invitation, rather. Um, but we're just going to enter into God's presence. That's what we're going to do. Okay? And whatever comes afterwards comes afterwards. But we're not worried about any of that right now. Just enter into God's presence. Wherever you are, make that an altar before the Lord. You can kneel at your seats. You can just sit with your heads bowed. You could look directly up at, at the Lord in heaven. This is your time, though. I'm not going to lead you into God's presence. You, yourself, can enter into the throne room now. And I'm going to make myself available if anyone needs prayer, if you need help. I understand. We're all here to help you, not just me. If you're someone who's neglected your time alone with God, if you're someone who used to enter into God's presence when you were first saved and you experienced that life-changing moment, that promise that God made, but afterwards, something happened, time passed, It's not a recommitment of salvation. It's just a recommitment that, God, I just love you. I'm sorry. I was prone to wonder just like the Israelites. I didn't make you a priority these past couple months. I don't enter into your presence like I once did. Or maybe you've never done that. Enter into God's presence. Make a commitment before him. Tell him, Lord, I need help. I want to enter into your presence. Give me, Lord, what I need. Father, we pray. We're praying now, Lord, before you. We're entering into your presence. Lord, we're, we're taking a step into the tent of meeting.
Father, we're praying right now for your glory to fall, for your manifest presence to be known in our life. Not because we want to pray and ask you for things, Lord. We just pray because we have a desire, a thirst to be in your presence and to feel you near to us. Lord, shower us with your glory. Shower us with your presence. Pour your spirit out into us, Father. And I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't just be emotion. We wouldn't be caught up in emotion, Lord. We'd be caught up in your spirit. Oh, Jesus. There's just something about that name. We bless you, Lord. We cry out to you. Come join us, Lord. In sweet intimacy, Lord. Every day, not just now. Just like Moses prayed with the Israelites, Lord. We ask that you would not send us away from here if your presence doesn't go with us, Lord. How else will the, the, the world know who we are? How else will, will we be recognized as your people, Lord, unless your presence goes with us? Holy Father, pour your spirit out. Holy Spirit, come. Wherever you are, keep crying out. Keep interceding for yourself. Keep interceding for that person in your family. Wherever you are, stay there in God's presence. Keep pursuing him. Keep pursuing him. God, we empty ourselves so that you may fill us with your spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Come rest on us, Lord. Holy Spirit, enter into our hearts. Enter into our homes. Lord, go before us and prepare our workplaces, our schools, the restaurants where we eat after church. Go and prepare a place, Lord where we may be witnesses that we have been in the presence of Jesus. We have been in God's presence. Give us opportunities to witness to others that they would see, oh, there's something different about this one. Holy Spirit, come. We pray this in your name, Father. Amen.